Welcome to the Avoidance and Control Podcast. Avoidance and Control Podcast is for people who are ready to stand in their power and authentic truth rather than the false beliefs, society, or our upbringing conditions. I am your host, Moni Gomez, a former mental health clinician turned certified trauma and resilience life coach, here to help you befriend your nervous system to work with you, not against you. Are you ready to bring compassion to your reactions? Have you ever said, I'm never going to do that to my kids? Or have you ever felt your throat in your stomach when you said or did something that was exactly like your parents? This is because of our earliest relationships. In this episode, I will be giving you an introduction to attachment theory. You will hear how I use this theory in my clinical position and how it is the foundation for successful mental health treatment. Before I get to the exciting story time, there is some history of attachment theory that is important. The word attachment means connections or relationships. Attachment theorists focuses their studies on the connections between child and parent. The idea is that our connection to these caregivers is important. Scientists explored how our learning and actions change depending on needs being met or being met inconsistently or not at all. Needs being met are typically stuff like food, water, shelter, and hygiene. Needs can also include emotional support, encouragement, and making sense of the world. A consistent action from a parent would be when a baby cries and the parent picks them up or soothes them. If this soothing, for example, doesn't happen, then the child feels strong uncertainty. This uncertainty creates survival tendencies of avoidance, preoccupation, controlling, and sometimes chaotic behaviors. This means when there's a caregiver who is not consistent, the child begins to behave like they do not care or act out. A small example of controlling behavior comes from my book, Not the Chonkla. Myself, a mother, and her child are playing a feeling game. As mom tells a sad story, she begins to cry. As the child and I are listening to the mother, the child begins to pack up the game and put it away. The child becomes protective after her mother begins to express feelings by crying. The child interpreted her mom's emotions as harmful to her, so she removed the thing causing the tears. The child is likely to protect the people she loves and likely try controlling other situations. I wrote this in detail in my book, Not the Chonkla, how awareness of our history and trauma create compassion to rewrite our future. Not to mention my favorite chapter on how to seek mental health support. Not the Chonkla is on Amazon. Check the show notes for the direct link. These are normal reactions to uncertainty. The theory helps therapists consider these connections. John Bowlby is the original father of attachment theory. Bowlby concluded that our relationships with our parents create repeated behavior. Why should you care? Well, according to 40 years of research on attachment, the relationship is most important. This impacts how we find people to help us with our mental health. The importance of connections in treatment is that you as a client are more motivated to make changes. You will feel more comfortable expressing your emotions and feeling validated. Growth in treatment works when there is an excellent therapeutic alliance. This therapeutic alliance was coined by the field. See show notes for recent studies. This idea relies on attunement with the client. Attunement includes things like trust, empathy, and mutual understanding. Thus, an attuned relationship to the client is what is crucial for client success in any form of treatment of mental health. Now, it's story time. In my history as a clinician, I got to learn and practice child-parent psychotherapy, or CPP for short, which focuses on attachment. Many trainings and specialties like CPP are evidence-based, and evidence-based practice is well-researched and credible. CPP is an evidence-based practice that uses lots of tools to get to know the client. First, some of these assessments were large trauma inventories. 
think checklists of horrible events. I will summarize the assessment requirements of CPP to explain how it leads to successful outcomes. Beginning CPP with assessment requires learning everything about the connections of all caregivers. This included trauma histories, upbringing, and cultural background. I had to receive or score and understand this parent's whole life. I had to do this for all caregivers, which was anywhere from two to four caregivers. It was a lot. And like all trauma work, there was resistance. This assessment phase, as I described, was about six to 12 therapy sessions with each caregiver. Sometimes this involved teaching skills for the adult's regulation and support. This process of deeply knowing them helped guide treatment. This guidance made the other required sections easier. The major goal of CPP was to create an age-appropriate story of the client's scariest life moments. CPP is trauma-informed because the story was being told by a secure, loving parents who were repeating the promise of safety. Trauma-informed is best described by what has happened versus what's wrong with you. Trauma-informed focuses on recovery and prevention. The goal of being trauma-informed is to reduce harm and not re-traumatize people. I can give a small example of this as a massage therapist for 14 years, working with clients with trauma. There are a few slowdown techniques I use to not startle the client that identifies as experiencing trauma. Two things I will be sure to do is open and close doors slowly and quietly. The second thing I do is keep my hands on the client or table as much as possible so they aren't preoccupied or nervous about where I am in the space. I will sometimes announce what I'm doing and get double consent for working in certain areas as well. Trauma-informed tangent, but now you get the picture of the CPP story. One major part of CPP is addressing things that could change in the home to support emotional expression. When I worked with these families, we would work on skills to help the kids express themselves with play. In all cases, this required working with teams and other clinical specialists, as well as having patients as CPP is used with kids aged birth to six years old. With all the families I worked with, we had multiple people who had expertise in other areas. We would meet as a team and talk about wins and services and check in on skills. Working with kids aged birth to six, you have to be flexible. This means how we played or talked to the child was even more tailored to his or her age and family values. Now to the final stage of graduating therapy. Graduating therapy means that the client has accomplished what we set out to reach in therapy. After family graduations, I realized that results were expedited due to how much time I took in that first step of data collection and getting qualitative stories from these caregivers. For me, this looked like deeply understanding their culture, spirituality, and family values, which created this attunement and success. Having a big handful of these CPP cases, I was able to see the major differences between being attuned to a client or simply following the technique over assessment. This alluded to errors in the field, and training, as well as systemic problems, which I will touch on later in this podcast season. This brings me to the second point of it not being about technique at all. The technique does not matter. It all depends on the relationship with the client. Here's a simple example. Imagine you want a free styling session with a famous fashion designer. You are very excited, but pretty nervous to start. They first see your closet. They ask where these clothes were bought from. They invite you to donate the items with holes and band t-shirts, as that is not an elevated look. The stylist sets the date and time for their store try-on, where the stylist will dress you. The stylist welcomes you to the store. They don't ask you any questions. The stylist leads you to the dressing room to try on three outfits. Now you are more nervous because the garments in your hands don't look interesting or comfortable. You try these on and you hate them. They don't feel like you and the stylist gave you zero time to figure out who you are, how you dress, and why you dress the way you do. 
If they did ask more questions about you, your style, your favorite colors or textures, they would have picked some better options if they understood your needs, wants, and likes. This is exactly what happens in the mental health field. Some reasons for this are high caseload, superficial therapists, and poor training or supervision. But you can see if you had a stylist who understood that your identity matters, that your choice is crucial, and the reasonings of your perspective, then the stylist would be able to get you clothes and outfits that reflect who you are. Even with any direct client work, you can summarize this need for understanding your client, building trust, and attunement is very important for getting the client's needs met. While there are many approaches to gaining client trust and obtaining attunement, the facts are simple. The relationship is more important than the prescribed treatment. Thank you so much for listening. If anything in this episode resonated, book a gifted consult to get your needs met by being heard, seen, and understood. Holding space is my favorite. Click the link in the show notes. And remember to bring compassion to your reactions and choose skills over symptoms. See you next time, friends.